The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Today's scripture is from Colossians 1, 1-14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. as it is is also among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you heard from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good word, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and the patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Well, uh, welcome again. It's good to see everybody this morning. Glad you're here. And um, again, I hope I get to grab some time with you after the service. And um, uh, people, you know, I say this to people all the time. Uh, I'd love to grab coffee or lunch with you, especially if you're visiting or new or if I haven't yet. Uh, gotten to hear your story and help you plug further in the life of our church and uh, love our community here and what the uh, Lord has done and continues to do and bring your relationships into our church. And uh, one of the, the things I, I got to do some time ago, I had a friend who um, uh, was actually the chaplain to the Tennessee Titans football team here in town. And a number of times uh, he'd asked me to go uh, fill in for him, uh, speak. Uh, to them on their, in their chapel or Bible study kind of time on, um, during the week. And it was really fun. I, I got to do it a couple times. One, I actually got to take uh, my oldest son, Jake, and, of course, have some pictures. That was pretty cool. He loved that. Uh, but, you know, what was interesting about it was uh, Casey, he actually played, his name was Casey, ironically, uh, and my name is Stacy, so you can see where some of this uh, confusion might happen. Uh, he was a lot bigger than me, a bigger neck uh, and shoulders, and uh, so <laughs> I remember going, and um, I'm going to uh, speak there. This is my second time to do it. And it was a, a year later, so it was pretty pretty long span between the last time I got to do it. So I pull in the parking lot, I get out, and I, I'm in the like little foyer of the Titans practice practice facility, and I'm trying to like tell them, hey, I'm here to to speak for 
this friend of mine named Casey, and they go, oh, so you're Casey? I'm like, no, I I'm Stacy. They're like, this is really weird. I don't know what's going on here. And so they're like, is this some like crazed fan that's like trying to say something? So I'm like walking around, and finally I go, Casey Kramer, and they go, oh, yeah, 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 you're, you're coming for him. We know him. And so they open the doors, and I walk back, and I remember I get to go, you know, the whole thing, such a, a cool experience. You know, I sit in their uh, meeting room, which is their media room as well, with all the, the, the seats that look like stadium seats. And they have the huge podium down. This is where they do film, talk, discussion, all the stuff. And media room where that, you know, media comes in and they can ask questions of the coach and everything else. And then after I do the Bible study in there, I get to go eat with them. Like, I'm, they're just, I just go sit with all the players, and here's, like, Derrick Henry riding around, like, on a hoverboard, like, going in to eat. I'm like, do you really need a hoverboard? You're like, you run over people for a living. Um, I'm eating, like, steak with them. It was the coolest thing. I, I got to walk around in their world workout facility, and their, um, their, one of their uh, lead trainers came to the Bible study and would, would, um, <clears throat> was showing, like, was asked, asked really great questions and then was like, hey, let's go look at everything. So I was like, man, it's just so cool to be there. But here's what was wild about it. It wasn't until I evoked the name of Casey Kramer that I actually got to be brought back and not only brought back in there to do it, I was treated as if I was one of them. Casey actually played football in the NFL. He played for the Titans. He was a part of their team. I never did that. I didn't get out of maybe I walked on and that was about it in football and college. And then I was like, uh, no. But because I had this relationship with him, my relationship to the whole team changed. And we're beginning a new series in a, a letter called Colossians. The Bible uh, is made up of a lot of books. And in the New Testament, if you're unfamiliar with it especially, there are a lot of letters written to churches that this guy named Paul wrote specifically, a number of them. And this one's called Colossians. And it was to an area, a region that had some churches that developed. And Paul wrote a letter to this church, as he did many, to encourage, to exhort, to help, to, to speak to a church that really he had all sorts of love for. But here's what's wild about it. This is one of the few churches that Paul not only never visited, he didn't plant at all. He had never even met these people. And yet when you read this, it reads almost as if he's, he's had this relationship with them forever. And all on account of this pastor that's there, Epaphras, and the relationship that they have with who they are in Christ, because of that, it's almost like Paul has known them forever all his life. It's, it's amazing. You've probably had some of those relationships in your life where you have a friend that you know really well and, and, they, and, and you know this other friend, but when you connect them because of you, they become really close. There's a couple here in our church. Uh, maybe you've met Jay and Jan Dickerson. They're actually from, uh, from Houston, where my wife is from. They actually know my wife's parents. Their daughter was in school with my wife's Sisters, I mean, there's all this overlap in family, and it's so funny. Every time I see them, I'm just reminded of, of back home in Texas. There's that instant connection. There's that, that, that like, oh, I feel as though they've known me much longer than they actually have. And that's what this letter reads. It reads that way. It reads in a way of Paul, who's writing from jail, who's never been there, never met them, and he has such 
a loving, rich, warm letter to write to this church that is in need, the Church of Colossae. And we're going to unpack it. I'm going to farm in some of the, the content and context for, for us, not just today, but throughout this series. And, and if you're unfamiliar with this, usually in the life of our church, what we like to do is we take a book and, or a passage and we unpack it. And we look into it. And we're going to look at the full uh, letter of Colossians through this series. And we like to do that. It's called Lectio Continuum. It means you like to take a, a book of the Bible and, and really let's understand what it, what it means. And, and maybe it'll help you, especially if you're here and you're unfamiliar with the Bible or you're kind of c- coming back into the life of the church. What does it really mean to study it and ask questions and grow in it? So we're going to look at two things as this passage opens up for us. Two things. We're going to look at the people of Colossae. The people of this city, and you kind of can see a little bit of who they are in this beginning of this letter, but we're also going to see how he prays for them. Because one of the the functions that's typical in letter writing for Paul is he tells them up front about how he cares for them specifically in prayer. And in his prayer, we'll see a lot with that. So the people and the prayer of Colossae. So Colossae was a city that sat on a river, kind of between two big, uh, other big cities. And uh, one of the things that was described as, as people would come through it, the Lycus River, Xerxes uh, um, himself, the ruler, the famous king, actually passed through it at one point and noticed that this river ended up and just dropped off. It was one of these rivers that the city sat on that the river went underneath it and just dropped miles underground, like this, this cavernous river. And it was a, a diverse city. It had industry in it that ran through it. In fact, Colossae was known for its red wool. It was called the Colossae wool, this red wool that would go in and out. So as people would pass down the river and then t- t- stop there, there were a lot of religions and philosophies that would go through. And we'll see that as we look at this letter together. But one of the biggest things about Colossae is that in 60 A.D., They had an earthquake, and it just devastated the city. And Paul wrote this letter only two years after that, 62 AD. So imagine thinking about where the city is coming from in its rebuilding period. I mean, think about even our city when we've had tornadoes or floods. I mean, even the tornadoes in East Nashville. Think about how long it's taken and how some of the the businesses and, and areas and homes in that area alone, just from that happening almost a year and a half, two years ago, have still not come back. So think about in this time when they didn't have cranes, they didn't have engineering like we have now. Now they had structural engineering in the way that they built it, but they didn't have access to the the kind of mechanical tools that we have now. And then to rebuild the city back to where it was to be such a port city, it just was struggling. It didn't come back to the city that it was. And so as they were wanting to rebuild, they're wondering, what kind of an identity are we going to rebuild with it? What kind of a city are we going to be? And I love how Paul starts this way. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. He calls them two things. And this is typical for, for Paul to write, but he writes it, I think, very purposefully for Colossae. Saints and faithful brothers. Now, usually when we hear the word saint, saint can, uh, we've heard it a lot of ways. You could think of a football team. You could think of uh, St. Louis. You hear that language of saint, 
And, and we often can equate the word saint to moral perfection or a certain place. Or what does it actually mean? And when the Bible uses saint, when it talks about it here, it's saying not that there's somebody of, of perfect virtue. It's saying these are people who have been set apart by God. And especially if these are Gentile Christians, they were ones that were not supposed to be a part of the inside. This is Paul, a Jew, speaking to a bunch of people who were not supposed to be on the inside of that. Now they're considered saints. That if you're set apart by God, you are one of his. And, and even notice this in verse 12, I love this, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Can you imagine being a person who has always wanted to be on the inside and now you're being qualified. You are being brought in to share the inheritance that God himself has qualified them, has given them the qualifications of a saint to be brought in. In other words, my friends, if you're here and you are a follower of Jesus, if you're his, you are a saint. You and I are that. And even more so, what he takes it to is say, brothers. In other words, it's actually a language that encompasses brothers and sisters. It's a, it's a sibling word. So actually, it could be translated in faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae. It's like a collective term. So he not only says, you've been set apart as now his, but now you've been brought in as family. I mean, think about what that would be like for those who are trying to figure out who they are again. For those who are in a city where over and over, different religions, different philosophies pass through the river. They come through and they're asking the question, what gives us purpose? What, what makes me belong? What calls me in? Nashville's become a place that's kind of interesting in that way. It's become a place where People come, and it, it, some people have called it the third coast, that it has some connection from New York to L.A., that there's a passing through, and some people are now coming here to stay, and some people stay for a short time and leave, and some don't, but it can be that kind of place. What, what is this place for you? Some of you just moved here. Some of you have been here forever. But it is an interesting place where a lot of people come and try and figure out, okay, what am I going to be? with all the industry here, with all the, the medical, entertainment, academic, major industries, construction. I mean, it's brought a myriad of hosts of people into the city. The question for us is, is what's going to make me who I am in terms of my business? But what really brings us in? The family of God. What does it mean to be a brother and sister? To be a part of that relationship? Deeper. That's actually what the church is supposed to be. The church is a family where we're actually brought in, and this is the hard and interesting thing. I grew up as an only child. <laughs> I don't know how many of you, I, can't, I know some of you are only children here. We always like bump fists when we see each other. But as you know, as an only child, the church is not only children. And there are definitely moments when my poor wife will look at me and go, that is such an only child moment. When I like eat the last so-and-so, or I do the last so-and-so, I'm like, yeah, you're just thinking of me. But the church isn't that. The church is actually made up of siblings that are brought in that we didn't actually ask for, and that's what's hard. Like we were baptizing these children, and you saw their siblings up here, and earlier I was joking with, with one of them, they were being cute and kicking their face, and I'm like, one day you're going to kick the, his face for a different reason. 
But that's what the family of God is. It's actually the Lord bringing people together that we might not think that we would have or even ask for that, and yet we're brought in because we share not necessarily the common interests, but because we've been called out as saints by God, set apart is what saints sanctified means for his purposes. So you better think for a moment, that's exactly why it's so important how we as a church reflect our relationships to one another because it, it matters what we look like. It matters how we treat one another in love. And that's where Paul goes next. He goes here with a, a very familiar triad. As I was studying this, again, it's something that Paul brings up over and over in verses four and five. He says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, the faith, the love, and the hope. This is actually a very common way of Paul talking about what is the virtue of a Christian? What is the virtue of a Christian? Like many of you may go, okay, if you're gonna like unpack what a Christian is, like what it means to live that out and be that person, what does that mean? Faith, love, and hope. And faith is interesting because I think when he begins here and he says this, he says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Now that is really important because oftentimes when we talk about faith, we can talk about faith in something else, faith in our faith. Many times we talk about faith, uh, we can see it as we, you know, football season started up again and you're gonna hear it over and over after every game in any interview. Hey, we've just, how'd you, how'd you come back and win that game? I mean, last week there were like a thousand field goals made. I bet this is almost on every interview. We just believed we'd come back. We just believed it. We got it. It's ours. I mean, that kind of mentality. Is faith just a belief? Is it a quantity? Is faith where if I just pump enough faith quarters into God, he's going to really act and activate in how I need him to work? Because I do think that's often what we read into faith. So if I have enough of it, then I get what I want. It's just this kind of give and take, reciprocity with the Lord. I got this faith. You give me what I need. It works out. Or sometimes we may think faith is a quality, as if it needs to be pure enough. One of the saddest and most difficult stories I will never forget is when I was a youth minister in Texas. And... I remember one of my students was dying of leukemia and she eventually did. And I heard through the grapevine, I don't know who it was and I'm probably glad I didn't, that somebody had said to her while she was sick, if you just have enough faith, you're gonna be healed. Now, does God not want to heal someone? That's not the, the question. The question is, did she not have enough faith? Is faith some sort of quality that she didn't have pure enough faith in order to be healed by the Lord? But what we see in the scripture over and over, even as Jesus himself, when Jesus is wrestling with whether he should go to the cross or not in the Garden of Gethsemane and go to the most gruesome death that has ever been occurred in his innocence, did Jesus not have enough faith? No. It was where is his faith? See, notice it says faith in Christ Jesus. Faith is not a quality or quantity, it's a focus. 
It's a focus. It's where you see. Faith is like a windshield. Some of you have heard this before. It's like a windshield. I love it in the summertime. I miss them now. But the, the lightning bugs, right? You, a lightning bug hits the windshield. If you stop and start staring at the, wind, at the lightning bug just smeared with that cool little light on the windshield, you're going to crash. Because you're staring at the windshield instead of what goes through it. Faith is to look through to the focus of your object. That's why you can have a lot or a little. It doesn't, that's not the point. The point is in where your faith is. And as always said, and, and what Paul wants to encourage them is, your faith doesn't put Jesus on the throne, nor does your faith take him off of it. Your faith grows and is fed and is encouraged by looking back to him over and over and over where he is seated in Jesus. That's the focus. And that's where Nick goes, if that is true, then the love, the next thing he says right after that, then the love of that characteristic. Notice here, love is not a general love. It's not just a love out there. It says, and the love that you have for the saints. One of the biggest characteristics that I think is huge that we miss in our churches, and this is the detriment to having like 50 billion churches in a city is that we can hop to another church when we have a disagreement with somebody else. Look, I'm all for you finding the right church if you're here and you're visiting. In fact, on our website, we actually have a list of other churches that are not even just in our denomination that we encourage people to go to. But you know the number one reason people leave a church and go to another one is because they are unwilling to resolve disagreement or hurt or pain with someone they need to. And do you know why people don't want to join the church or a church or a any church or are burned or bored or cynical with it, and you may be here this morning and be one of those, is because you look in it and you go, why do I need to be a part of a church to have that kind of a relationship? What's different about the church in its love than anywhere else? But isn't that one of the most brought forward things from the scriptures is it said you won't be known by your faith, who you are, by your love. They will know we are Christians by our love. That's not just the song, it's drawn out of scripture. The way that we love one another. This is what Paul is hearing about this church. Is that in a city where there can be so many loves going through it, running through the river, that it's the way that they love one another that's so attractive that makes people stay. Not perfect. Love doesn't mean perfection. But working through those things. And finally it says, and hope. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Look, this last part is not just uh, a hope of wish fulfillment. I think oftentimes we use that. I know many of you here maybe in that place of school, you're like, man, I just hope I make it through the semester. Maybe you're here and you're thinking, I just hope I make it through the sermon. Um, maybe you're feeling all sorts of wish fulfillment there. Hope in the Bible is never set on a wish. 
The actual Greek language of hope is something fixed objectively that you're going, moving towards. That there's a, a fixed point that you're going to reach. It's actually a fixed objective where you're going to go. So that hope isn't just something, man, I hope everything works out, but it's that the knowledge of it and living in the tension, knowing that we're moving to it, faith, hope, and love, that they're looking to this world as something moving beyond it. As C.S. Lewis said beautifully, those whose minds are best in this world are those who know that there's one next. Those who are the best citizens, those who are the best workers, those who are the best family members are the people who, who, who not just live here, but know what's coming next. Their hope is beyond it. Faith, love, and hope characterize that. So how does, here's the thing, how does he pray for them? See, it, it talks about the people of Colossians, but how does Paul talk about it? This is one of the things I think is so remarkable. Paul has never met these people. He does not know them at all, except for through Epaphras, who's this pastor who's so loving that his report, his heart just gushes. And Paul can do nothing but be brought into it and feel like he's just there with them. He's brought back into the halls. He feels like he's loved on these people because he loves Epaphras, and Epaphras loves them. But here's what's cool. He doesn't just talk a good game. He actually prays for them. And he says, and in twice, verses two and nine, and we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, verse nine, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. How remarkable that he is praying for a group of people like that. And he doesn't just throw out the spiritualized version of it that many of us can kind of do sometimes when we talk about it. When we say, oh, we'll pray for you. We'll do that. But sometimes when we say that, it can be a colloquial phrase for us as, as people who are in churches or, or maybe dabble in spiritual or traffic in spiritual places to say that. But Paul puts his money where his mouth is. He's, he not only says how, but what he prays for them. And this is what he does. He says how he prays. We always thank God. He says it twice in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father that his prayers are lined with thanks. If you want a guide of how to pray, and I know many of us ask this question, you're about to get a great one from Paul, especially about people that he doesn't even know. Think about the things that we do. But it begins with thanks. I was reading a little on C.S. Lewis about prayer, and it was from Screwtape Letters. C.S. Lewis is a great author. If you've not heard of him, he's written a number of things. But he wrote a book called Screwtape Letters, specifically talking about how uh, spiritual warfare happens. And it's, it's actually written from the perspective of a senior devil writing to a junior devil of how to like really get humans off path of their worship of God. And one of the places he talks about is prayer. And I love how he said this. He said this, if we can teach them to turn their prayers back on themselves based on how they want to feel, for instance, if they, if they want to see charity in their life or kindness, just I want to feel kindness, then it takes it off the person and puts it back on themselves. 
And here's what Paul's doing in thanksgiving. See, if, when he's thanking God for these people, he's drawing it away from himself. When you have to thank the Lord for people, not, not to mention not only thank him for people that you may know, but people you don't even know, you can't, as C.S. Lewis, camp your prayers out on your own mood. Your prayers have to go outward. And it forces you to stop thinking about, how am I feeling? What do I need to drive it outward to say, how, do I, how am I thankful for this person and that person? There is nothing more unnerving than to even pray, have a prayer of thanksgiving for somebody you're in a disagreement with. If you want to be guided and you want to be really unnerved and grow in your relationship with the Lord and then even in prayer, don't worry about just the things to say. Arrive to him in thanksgiving for those out there, not just here. Because it's not just about you feeling and sitting in a mood of having a thankful heart. You can't get there unless you're next to the one who's thankful for you. Unless the affection of being with Jesus transforms you. And what does he pray? He prays this. That you, in verse 9 and following, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will of all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit and good work and increasing in the knowledge, and being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance, patience with joy, being filled and walking and strengthened. If there's one thing that typifies, and you're gonna see this throughout this letter of Colossians, it's a very, very in-depth thing, is fulfillment. What does it mean to be filled with something? What does it mean to be filled spiritually? Aristotle often talked about this, and this is something that was really big for them. It was what it meant to have wisdom and understanding of being full of something spiritually so that you may see wisely. But the difference is what Paul is saying is, what does it mean for you and I to have spiritual discernment? To be filled means that you have discernment, to be discerning. And don't we desire to be discerning? I mean, if there's something deep in our souls, it's the questions that we have throughout every corner of our day. Not just the really big decisions, but the one of, gosh, what do I say to my child who just heard this? How do I react to my boss who just said this to me? How do I navigate the little comments this person said to me? How do I handle all of the little corners? That's where discernment gets into. And the prayer that he has for them, what he prays is that they would have discernment filled with the knowledge of his will and spiritual wisdom and understanding. In other words, that the Holy Spirit, that the third person of the Trinity fills them with wisdom in order that they can live and make the wise decisions of life, apply to the best of their ability the decisions and knowledge of God. Wouldn't that be wonderful to have that? Isn't that the prayer that we would ask? That the Holy Spirit, the same one that fills, the same one that we're praying that fills those beautiful children that we just baptized, is the same one that fills us to have wisdom and knowledge to make those decisions on an everyday basis. The discernment of all those situations. And then to walk. 
As many Jewish people said, the word walk is so key for behavioral life. And what often would happen was they would have a manuscript and they would say, okay, how am I walking? (laughs) How am I living this out? Okay, here's discernment. I want to be filled, but how am I doing this? And they would have parameters for that. And I think for us, it may not just be one document, but it's how do I have the perfectly balanced life? When I have my life in order, when things are running smoothly, things feel balanced, maybe even enough, have I hit my stride? Do I know I'm walking in him? Or is it more than that? It's, it's, it's got to go further than the simple behavior modification that the Lord that he's praying gets into them and transforms their discernment so that they walk in a life manner full of him, more than just trying to change a pattern. But what you're, here's the key, what you're filled with is what you're gonna walk in. It's simply put, what fills you on a day-to-day basis? Not just the big decisions, on a day-to-day basis basis, where those discernment questions come from, what fills you is going to drive how you walk in your life. And it it drives you to where you're going to go. And look, here's what's beautiful the Lord does. As Paul prays, he says, not only to walk in that manner, but verse 11, being strengthened. Where does the strength to do that come from? The strength to actually keep walking doesn't come from you. See, God doesn't, and here's the difference of Christianity and what Paul is trying to get at with them. He's not giving them another virtue. Paul's not trying to be another Aristotle that says, hey, here's an actually different modified way, more spiritual way with Jesus kind of in the mix. It's the fact that the one who actually asks you to walk is the one who strengthens you to do it. To actually come to this table and know that this isn't a magical potion. This is you giving a, getting a taste of where does the strength to continue going on because we fail. That you're so unified in God's son Jesus who came. That's what in Christ means. That that's where you have the strength to move. When they lifted my house, um, they literally lifted my house off the ground because we had to put a new foundation under it. They brought this giant machine that looks like something out of Ocean's Eleven, looked like they're about to steal something, and it is massive. It has all these knobs on it, and then what they do is they put 12 to 16 different jacks under your house. And I remember going the day they called us and said, we're, we're raising your house. I was like, I floored it over there. Our whole family went because I wanted to see it. And, I, and I, of course, I, what did I ask? Can I actually help lift the house? And they let me. But what was so cool about it was they had this huge machine. And they said, hey, before we had this, we have to, used to have to go to each of the jacks individually underneath the house and try and calibrate them in order to lift the house. It was incredibly dangerous. But now we have this giant blue machine that if we set all the pylons right, then you pull this one lever and it all goes up. And I noticed when I was at the machine and I said, hey, what is this? He said, and it says right above it, unified. 
So this is the unification lever. This is the lever. If you pull this, and I got to pull it, and uh, I mean, it was the coolest thing. Somebody, uh, Alec Dryden, one of our deacons was here and took a, he tried to get a, like a, 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 a time-lapse photo of it, and it just moved so slow. It was like, that's just not as cool as you're hoping. But you're standing next to it, and you're just watching an entire house move at this pace. It's crazy. But they said that the way that they're able to do is because if they get it all in unification, all of them have to be on at once. That's how the whole machine works. It has to be unified. And the only way that you and I have any strength to, to do anything in this life isn't because we can put our shoulder down and do it ourselves and think that we can walk in a manner worthy. It's the fact that we are so unified in the only one who has clothed himself in flesh, who has actually done this work. As it says, it is not our body and our blood that is shed. It is him so that we may be equipped to walk in that manner, so that we know we're not filled with, with puffed up righteous knowledge. We're puffed up with the person of the truth, third person of the Trinity. God himself fills us to do that. And that's what this table is. That's what we come to celebrate here. This table shows a newly formed people. It shows when you taste of this table that you're not coming in your own power, but you're coming in the strength of the one who gave himself for you, who laid his life down. So I would encourage you this morning, if you're here, and, and maybe anything I've said is just kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm kind of dabbling in that. It's good. I want to I hear more of it. Not to come take of this table and pretend that you have a relationship with Jesus when you don't or when you're kind of exploring it. It'd be one thing if you're struggling, if, you're, if you have questions. That's where our faith, hope, and love comes in. That's where it's like, man, I have doubts. It's okay to have doubts. But if you kind of know that you're like, I don't know if I, I think Jesus really is who he is, don't do this just like everybody else's. Just with integrity, say, you know, I'm going to hold off. Fold your hands, receive prayer or benediction, come forward and receive that benediction. Or remain in your seat. But if you're here this morning, you say, you know what? I need to have this prayer. And I need to come forward and taste the strength that is not of my own so that I may walk in faith in him. Come forward and taste and see the Lord is good. Let's stand together.